0: welcome michael brown uh it's nice to have you on the Ad. podcast, and um we've uh well we haven't gotten a chance to meet in person but it's nice to have you here um thank you for joining us
1: oh it's great to be here thanks for having me
0: so michael you work at uh, microsoft currently and uh, can you tell us just a, bit, a little bit about what you do there
1: Oh, yes. Yeah. So I joined uh, Microsoft about three years ago, and I'm in the uh, uh, CSE org, Co- commercial software engineering. And what we do is uh, help our customers with their uh, cloud adoption journey um, that entails like designing, uh, architecting, uh, giving advice on, on approaches to bringing a solution from inception to pilot to uh, production.
0: Nice. So helping the newcomers to the cloud. What just uh curious, like what kinds of challenges do organizations have moving to the cloud?
1: Uh so we we typically work with, you know, like very large customers. So uh their their challenge is volume. So they're they're pushing the cutting edge of, of what we're doing. They're looking at new newly released services or services that aren't even necessarily released yet. Uh, to find out how to best implement a solution using Azure.
0: So one of the things that you're uh, known for, at least, um, you know, recently is you're, you know, starting the Juneteenth conference. And let's say before we talk about specifically Juneteenth, um, that it's an opportunity for people to learn about technology from black software developers or, or people in, in tech, did, did how did that coincide with your journey into tech?
1: Oh, yes. Yeah. So um, I was, you know, I feel fortunate in that, you know, I was raised in uh, Chicago in the 80s and uh, um, single parent home and, you know, not necessarily middle, middle class even. Uh, the school system there isn't really <laughs> well-funded, And it's easy to fall through the gaps um, in that environment. I'm definitely like a poster child for, uh, quote unquote, at-risk youth. And um, it's through technology that I was able to find, uh, forge my own path, and create a career that I never dreamed possible. And so I've always felt that I needed to, I felt not obligated, but I felt impaled Uh, to pay pay it forward and help the next um, uh, young man or young woman, you know, in a similar situation uh, to uh, realize that there's more out there than than they're being told. The the thought isn't lost on me that my name coincides with a young man in uh, St. Louis who was killed by a police officer. And uh, he was actually um, looking to go into a career in technology. And so, You know, I used to always say I need to help the next Mike Brown find their path. And it is almost like too spot on (laughs) with that event occurring.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that must have um, been really difficult. So let's go back to just before the Juneteenth uh, conference began and um, it's it would be. I don't know how anybody could forget about the uh, horrible event at the end of May 2020 where uh, George Floyd met his death at the knee, uh, you know, of a police officer. And well, you know, again, it would be difficult to forget the outrage that that caused. And so sort of on the, uh, on the heels of that or right in the midst of a lot of that, you said okay here's here's our opportunity to do that. Can you tell us sort of about your your feelings around that time and and uh um, maybe your inspiration for this?
1: Yes, yeah, so there there was a confluence of events for what what led to me um me starting the team so my my grandmother, who gave me my first computer, passed away uh the day after Mother's Day. Um, that year. And so that was very somber. And I thought about like a lot of what she, what she told me growing up and the the lessons that she instilled in me. It was also June 2nd was my first anniversary at Microsoft. And so I was reflecting on that and what my next steps were, you know, like uh, it's, it's been a lifelong journey for me to get here. So went about it in a roundabout way. (laughs) And then, um, I happened to be sitting down and watching black that day. And it was the Juneteenth episode that they were airing at that time. And it occurred to me, I'm like, okay, well, Juneteenth is coming up. I need to do something to commemorate it. And, you know, that's when I said, okay, well, Let's create a Juneteenth conference. We need this. And um, of course, like it was also influenced by the tragedy. And that's a euphemism kind of saying it's the tragedy of George Floyd's uh, murder. So all of that came together at the same time. And I said, Okay, well, we need we need this, we need to celebrate. And that's that's in the spirit of Juneteenth. It was a celebration of of being told a year later after the Emancipation Proclamation that the slaves in Galveston, they were announced, hey, you, you guys are free now. <laughs> and so like a year later, they celebrated the anniversary of being told they were free. Um, and what I feel is that even though it was a celebration, it was also a recognition that, you know, there was a much further journey, a, a longer struggle to get to where we need to be. Um, I think it's still ongoing to some degrees as evidenced by the events uh, that keep occurring, but it was also a a recognition of of the journey so far and, and the achievement of progress. So I thought that was the perfect tone to use for a conference as a celebration, as a recognition of achievement. And then an acknowledgement that we uh, we still have a longer journey to go, but let's recognize that we've done so much.
0: So um, for listeners who aren't familiar with Galveston, he's talking about Galveston, Texas, which is very close to Houston uh, in the United States. And he's referring, of course, back to the, the freedom of um, Black slaves from slavery and United States. And so, of course, you probably want to inform yourself of the history of that if you're unfamiliar with it, but you can imagine what it's like to, you know, be set free. You're going to do some celebration, right? Maybe, you know, in a a similar sense, you were able to start this conference, you know, with uh, the idea of benefiting young black men and women, teenagers, even to start on a path of going into technology. So, with very little time, you put together this conference, you know, on this kind of like inspiration of all the, you know, like you said, this confluence of uh, events that occurred in your life. And boom, you do this. And well, first of all, Michael, how'd you find all these black speakers?
1: So I I posted on Twitter, I said, Hey, here's my idea. I'd, I'd love to do it this year. At first, I was actually thinking, okay, well, it's not enough time to put it together. Let me let me just start the ball rolling and we might be able to do it the next year. But then I stopped and said, Hey, um, you know, let's, let's take the shot. You know, even if we get like three or four people to talk and it'd be a great thing. And so, uh, I practiced, uh, lean startup, which, uh, you know, says, Hey, give a minimum viable product out. And my minimum viable product was an ugly sign-up page that I threw together on, um, or a champ, and said, okay, <laughs> sign up. Uh, I gave them a checkbox to say, do you want to speak? Do you want to volunteer? Do you want to help set up the platform? Because I had no idea how we were going to host it. And then I like announced inside of Microsoft. So, uh, an interesting thing is that CSE uh, was formed from developer platform evangelism. So it's a bunch of people who know about putting together events. And so there was one colleague who actually has a, uh, a conference platform for doing exactly that, hosting a, hosting a conference. So that was solved. Like within an hour, I said, okay, we have a way to do this. Let's go. And then, like, you know, I've got, I've got over a 1,000 people who registered and expressed some kind of inter- interest. Like I want to attend it. I want to help uh, design it. I want to volunteer. I want to speak. And I'm like, okay, well, that sounds like a resounding yes from my, um, from my customer discovery. There's a market there. And so, uh, it was, of course, it was short time. It was very rapid. And so I, uh, put in all of my project management skills to work to, to allow the team to, you know, agile development, you know, self-forming teams, you know, I said, Hey, here are the areas we need to work on. Sign up for what you want. And then uh rather than me being like down in the details in the tactical area, I, I let the team select the representative. So like we did a scrum of scrums where we did a daily stand up and said, Okay, hey, here's what's on the agenda, here's what we need to do. I had some excellent team members who uh were just very good on the tactical stuff. Like you give this amorphous blob of like, Hey, we need to do user registration. We need to do social media. And they just broke it down into, uh, into like detailed tasks and it ran like a machine. I think there was like a week into it. I realized like I could like step away and it this will happen. <laughs> and it was just amazing. You know, like so much enthusiasm, so much energy. It was, <laughs> I was just, Humble to be a part of it really.
0: And a, a very significant part of it. So thank you for well, I mean, you followed what you wanted to do and your your inspiration and you didn't back down. And that's exactly what tech people need to do, right? I mean right. Uh, you know, some probably to a lot of kids looking into this industry, they they see it as impossible to get in you know how could they possibly do this and what it takes is intestinal fortitude right and <laughs> you're just going to get it done and it doesn't mean that you're a genius it means you're smart and have a lot of drive and you don't give up easily right i mean doesn't that describe a software developer
1: yeah I, what what does pop into my head from when you say you're smart and, and have the drive you know like uh joe joe spolsky called it smart and gets things done. That's the two priorities for software engineers. And because of the length of my career, I've been doing this for like 27 years now. um, I've learned to, you know, strengthen my skills that are outside of pure coding. So, you know, I have a definite product mindset where it's like, okay, the code is great. Like if I spent a bunch of time just saying, okay, I'm going to build up this portal site rather than like, oh, here's one that's handed to me, (laughs) you know, it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have happened. Right. So, um, I think understanding what the product is and understanding how to bring that to market is the textbook agile development product mindset that brought it to reality in two weeks, literally.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. And having the other tools, right. It's like, um, okay, how are we going to get this done and so there's integration involved as well right mm. so uh your your friend your colleague who helped you with the platform i mean there was learning curve there and uh you know even if that individual took care of everything for everything so to speak well still uh people who were joining in had uh, to learn it and yeah a lot of coordination Oh, yeah. And the, the Scrum of Scrum's. Well, that may be the best use of Scrum I've ever heard. <laughs> really, you know, like th- really, truly benefiting people. So, uh, you had a 2021 conference. Yeah. Um, as I understand it, you know, the, the 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 initial one, and I think this is you know sort of normal. You know, there was this sort of overwhelming. What did you have? Twenty hours of uh, speaker speakers, and yeah.
1: No. So- We started off with one day, one track, um, and we were targeting to feel like four hours. Even the greatest moment for me was when, you know, I had submitted a talk for the uh, conference and I said, my talk doesn't cut the mustard. I I prefer to hear other people speak and share their information. So I was like, I tweeted out, I'm like, I'm proud to say that my talk wasn't accepted at at the first (laughs) Juneteenth team's conference, but, um. Yeah, we started off with one day, four hours, and we got so much, so many good talks. Like we didn't had a, re, a team to review them that we had to expand to a second track and then to a second day. And yeah, so like all of the talks are, are quality. We had three keynote speakers, uh, one for the start and end of the first day, one for the start of the second day. And, you know, these were phenomenal people. We had, uh, Danny Thompson. We had Angie Jones. And Jerome Hardaway, who, you know, like have done amazing things on their own, you know, like Angie is the Java queen, among other things, you know, she has like 25 patents, stuff like that. And I had like, at the time, like 1500 followers and, you know, that she said, yeah, I'm going to sign up and and talk at your conference. I was like, what? (laughs) So, um, like I said, it was really a humbling experience to be able to be the impetus behind such a great gathering.
0: Well, that's that's very cool and it's uh you know nice to hear you have these fond memories of it so so you had uh so you went about you had about twenty hours of of presentation during the initial twenty twenty and you said about eight hours in in twenty twenty one so maybe right. even a bit more manageable, but that's still a lot of hours for a virtual oh yeah you know event and now uh you're you've already got things kicked off for twenty twenty two. Right. That will happen in June. Tell us about that and, and then just where are you going in the future?
1: Yeah, so um I've been keeping my eye toward doing an in person event. And of course, when I thought about where to host it, if possible, it would be Houston because Houston uh has one of the largest Juneteenth celebrations. Uh about an hour from Galveston where the original June 10th was celebrated. I was really hoping we could do it this year, but like I was worried still about uh, COVID. I've seen some examples of like COVID friendly conferences um, that put in, you know, guidelines and, and, and security and safety measures, but I still wasn't comfortable like doing it, especially uh, Texas has been really lax about <laughs> their COVID policy. So, We put that on hold. We're going to do it uh, virtual this year as well. But we're already like strategizing on like, you know, securing a place and giving funding to to host it in person next year.
0: Nice. I hope that works out for you. So, you know, I hadn't really thought of asking this, but have you seen any sort of like direct traceable results from the conference actually helping uh, young people?
1: Um, So a few of our speakers have gotten follow-up. Engagements on the strength of having their name flown about with, with the conference. Like one speaker, uh, Brittany Braxton, I had people from within Microsoft say, Hey, we loved her presentation on um, journaling as a developer, and we love her to present it to our group. And I was able to intercede there and make the connection. And her talk was phenomenal again internally. And uh, there were other cases I don't, I don't want to like necessarily re- reveal because they didn't necessarily make it public so uh, I don't want to necessarily tell people's names without their permission ahead of time but yeah i I've, I've seen I've seen its impact
0: <laughs> excellent that's yeah it's good to see um that and you know just a little experience from from my side I have on different occasions tried to help young black people who I think you know would fit how you were describing yourself at risk right and you know what I recall is I you know I wanted to actually start some kind of a school where there was an area in Colorado you know it was kind of well I guess you would call it Aurora Colorado and there was a lot of uh, poverty I happened to be kind of you know around there and I had friends that. That lived there in the area. And I met some young people that kind of were in that situation in their life and said, man, wouldn't it be great to just be able to teach them, you know, something to give them some skills to improve their future possibilities. And, you know, and looking into it, well, first of all, I was, my wife, Nicole was uh, just pregnant with our, our first son. You know, that's, that's some pretty big news, you know, and, and you're like, uh, okay, well, I got to think of my family and then, you know, just looking into getting, making this happen, you know, virtual wasn't really a big thing at the time. And um, a lot of people were still using dial up at the time. So, you know, that wasn't even a a whisper of opportunity there. So, and it was just going to cost a lot more money than I had to uh, invest in, in that. But nowadays all these are possibilities and, I think that some of these kids are able to go to code camps or however you define that. I think it describes well where they're trying to learn some uh, basic skills within you know six weeks or or maybe even six months. And I have heard of success stories where kids are able to come out from that and uh, that experience and actually get work. So that's good. But the one I had in mind most recently is right here in our near uh, Phoenix, Arizona, north of Scottsdale. We've, you know, I don't know why, but we've had so much trouble with our uh, internet provider, um, the service from them. And we had a kid come out. Well, we didn't know it was a kid. We had someone come out to to help, you know, look into the problem, troubleshoot for us. And he was a young black kid, a lot of energy, very smart, very, you know, quick-minded and so forth. And any question that I had, it was like, boom, you know, he had an answer. And uh, And what it sort of reminded me of was the story of Kelsey Hightower. Kelsey's story is uh, he started out like he really had to hustle a lot to get the opportunities that he had. And I think he was actually doing like some kind of, Internet provider, or you know, service for helping people with their computers, or something, and and then he f- he finally got into software development. So I showed this kid. And I went to Kelsey's um, Twitter account. And I showed him like how many followers he, he had and uh, how well he had done. And I said, if you want to try to get into software development, let me know. And I think I gave him my card or something. Wrote my phone number on it, and I never heard from him. I, I'm you know I'm disappointed because I would have loved to you know introduce him to you know some channel, but. You're hitting a big area, you know, where where people have the opportunity to really hear a lot about this. So, yeah, it's it's really it's really cool what you're doing.
1: Yeah, I think the most important thing is is, is the representation, you know, like and and that that's what I'm I'm most excited about is that you know we were able to not just in the amount of time we did, but period, you know, create a, a conference where the entire speaker lineup was black and it gives a lot of representation to to say, Hey, you know, I can see myself doing this. Uh, if you don't see yourself represented in, in, in a career, uh, it's, it's harder to see yourself in that career. You know, if you don't see yourself there, you won't, you won't see yourself there basically.
0: Yeah. You have to be able to see examples. Um, in the industry of people who started out in the same way that you're going to have to start out, right? That they are going to have to start out. So, yeah. Okay. Let's, let's sort of uh, shift gears here. Actually, you know, I have, I had heard of you before and and I, I'm certain it was around the Juneteenth conference is probably the first opportunity that I had to you know learn about you. Um, Although our, our paths didn't, or our virtual paths didn't cross until I think it was like September, October of 2021, you gave a talk in, um, at a a Southern California DDD meetup. Yeah. And, and so I, I got excited when I saw this advertisement because it like took me way back. Um, you know, Peter code, Came up with this idea. What a name, right? For a software developer, right. Peter Code, not spelled like C O D E. I think it's like C O E D or something. C O A D. C O A D. Okay. Yeah. Peter Code and and uh, anyway, so he's the one who invented the TogetherSoft UML um, right. tool and 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 developed this idea around color modeling or modeling in color, right? Right. And so you did you. Did this presentation i was like what this is like old school stuff so <laughs> i want to i want to go hear about this and i had you know didn't actually know a lot about that at the time i was using uml and i doesn't matter what people think about uml now but i thought it was a pretty useful modeling language so anyway take us down the path of color modeling or modeling in color
1: okay uh so it's, it's interesting again my life is full of confluences uh so as I first learned about uh, domain-driven design around 2008, my employer at the time had David Anderson come and give basically a mentorship. He was there for like a week, working with our teams and um, helping us really dive deep into ad agile development. And you know, he taught us about lean software. And of course, uh, I knew him from. He was the uh, author of the original TFS work uh, Agile template, Agile Agile Process Template, I think it was called. You know, like he was involved in in bringing that and I worked a lot with TFS at the time. So like one day he gave a presentation on color modeling and, and, you know, like just gave us a tour of like, okay, well, first there was the Data Model Resource Book, which basically breaks down... Like so many uh, domain models, but really deeply like mapped to a uh, a database schema, um, so ERD. And then he talked about uh, David C. Hayes' book, um, "The Data Modeling Patterns of Thought," which was also like a really a really good deep dive into hey how do you how do you compose the data model? And you know back then data model and domain model were interchangeable. They they weren't just talking about just pure SQL objects. They were talking about you know um, entities that are deeply represented. And then finally, he he touched on color modeling um, and introduced me to that book, Java Modeling and Color with UML. Which you know it just sounds like if you said, hey, you're going to learn about this really new domain modeling te- technique using UML, you know, like people will probably look at you side-eye right now, you know, like I think to some degree, we threw the baby up with the bathwater, you know, like people say agile is, you know, like, oh, we don't need documentation. I'm like, well, I mean, you know, before I, I write code, I do pseudocode, you know, like explain, explain my algorithm in plain English. That way, like when I'm deep in the weeds of implementation, I have a roadmap to say, okay, well, I implemented this step. Now let me step back. Where where was I? I don't have to look around. I have a roadmap. Oh, next I'm going to do this. In the same regard, I think, you know, doing an object model, even if it's just sticky with the name of the class and, and drawing a connection between them is, is worthwhile because it helps you think about the domain, think about the higher level without it. What Peter Code in this book presented was, that, okay, there are four archetypes for a uh, domain model, and those are uh, a person, place, or thing, or in, an actual entity. A role that entities play, descriptors at the core were mo- what he called moment intervals. I think he was trying to avoid the overloaded terms in technology. I, I, I'd look at them as entities and transactions. So that's the core of a system and and You know, making making that the central idea of what you hang everything else off of, it really expanded my mind on how to design and how to model objects. Like so many times, like he was given an example and walking through, he actually took apart a project that we were working on. And so we had been in it for like three months or so. And in 15 minutes, he questioned us and said, okay, well, it sounds like you need to do this do you have this, this entity? And we're like, uh, no. (laughs) Well, or yes, but he was actually like predicting, predicting it without us even asking. I'm like, okay, I need to learn this. And so like I spent like the next month or so just diving into the book, tearing it apart, asking more questions. Like I saw like one case where they that, oh, an account is an entity. I'm like, well, this account sounds like it's a transaction because it's ongoing. It's open and, and has transactions following up. And you're like, yeah, that's a good, good way to think about it. you know. And so I really dove into that. But also, I felt a, uh, some kind of a sense of connection between uh, color modeling and domain-driven design. And so I saw, like, for example, the bounded context I noticed that like a role can play the, the, the root aggregate for a bounded context. You know, it's like, Oh, uh, I'm a customer and here's, you know, I want to make a purchase. I want to, you know, all of the thing that goes in with being a customer, uh, with the uh, customer being the aggregate root. And that's what I realized was that the roles, the role archetype plays an engine of the system. That's where all your, you know, Normally, when you're learning object modeling, you say, "Oh, the object is the uh, is the noun, and the function is a verb." Here we have the event and transaction, which are representative nouns, but the functions all sit on the role. So, like, make a purchase, or um, make you know request a return, or so forth and so on. I started like trying to map. Those two together, and then like when the idea of uh, event sources, sourcing came along. Okay, well, hey, here's your event right now. Is to represent it right in this uh, in this archetype.
0: Yeah, very um, very intuitive, I think. And I think the you know when you learn the colors that are used to represent you know your eye, uh, and hopefully you know well this this doesn't work. So well, maybe for some who have a cl- some kind of color blindness, right? Right. But um, actually, even for people who have some color blindness, there's they they usually have some sense of of color, and so anyway, you see these objects or elements, modeling elements, and and there's like this sort of immediate uh, visual impact. They tell you what they are, and and so part of the identification of what's, what's being represented in the model, um, just jumps right out at you. Right. So,
1: right. Yeah. Because it adds another dimension and I think he did a good job at selecting the colors. So like rather than red, he picked pink. So people with red, green, uh, color blindness aren't, aren't impacted, you know, and he picked like uh, neon colors so that like, you know, there's red, green, and then there's, uh, um, I think yellow, blue, Color blindness. and so like rather than blue he selected a pastel like sky blue so uh i think it even you know like every nuance was thought of in that system you know and and like you said like you can like almost look at the model at a glance and say you're missing you're missing a pink here you know you're missing a you're missing a yellow here who are you like implying or or eliding here
0: now, fast forward, let me think here. When did I start learning about that? Maybe, I think, together, Jay came along, maybe like, I don't know, 1997, 98 in there. Yeah. I don't know, somewhere like that. Right. And, uh, and uh, the the modeling and color was probably right near that time, short, shortly after. So let's say, fast forward about, Ten to fifteen years somewhere in there, right. maybe twelve years like that and and uh, here I am on what we called my IDD tour, right um, implementing domain driven design tour. and I invite Alberto Brandolini to join you know in in I think it was at least two of the events um, that I had and and so he uh, joined me in Belgium, Leuven, Belgium, first of all, and then uh, in Krakow Poland. Secondly, and then actually I taught um, through Alberto's company, not exactly as an IDD tour event, but, you know, right in conjunction with the same kind of time frame, down in um, uh, Bologna. And he first introduced what became event storming at the earlier Leuven event. And I think that was like early April of 2013. It was just right after my red book was published and, you know, there was uh we definitely lit a fire in this uh small DDD community at the time and and really uh i think it had a major impact so alberto introduces this what became event storming and it and it uses different colors of sticky notes right, right. to to represent different parts of a not just a domain model but actually multiple domain models potentially that are represented in a timeline left to right. So, okay. So now we have color and color modeling, you know, with UML, and then we have sticky notes for event storming. How do you see those two things overlapping?
1: Oh yeah. So I met Alberto uh, and I I did a conference in Ukraine, actually. I think it was build stuff, the build stuff conference in Ukraine back in, I think it was 2017. It's interesting, you know, with the events going on. I, I did like a tour of Chernobyl and, and the conference was in Kiev. So I, I I have a that was my first trip across the ocean. So I have a, a definite affection for Ukraine and definite angst about this this invasion that's going on. But my talk at the conference was on color modeling and I presented it there and you know, like that was the first time I learned about event storming because just before in the same room as, as my talk on color modeling, Alberto talked about uh event storming. I'm like, wow, that's definitely very similar. And I think the, the color modeling concepts influenced what became event storming. I think he did a great job at making it fresh and consumable and Bringing it in a way that the audience was ready for, you know, we were already thinking about event sourcing and DDD, and he just rephrased it and recaptured it, which is amazing. You know, like it takes real talent to be able to uh, to make an old thing new. That was the theme of the conference: old oh, things are new. <laughs> so, like, I focused on the UML aspect. You know, I I think, like I said at the end of of the presentation that Dave Anderson gave us, you know, he actually used sticky to like reposition and throw and out the, uh, concepts. I think definitely like the concept of a strength, you know, like a continuous timeline flow of events that's talked about in the, uh, color modeling book, you know, like you have a, you have a moment interval and then you have predecessors and successors. So before you can have a, uh, shipment, you need to have an order and maybe a payment, you know, like a payment for that order. And so letting, I think the process that he talks about, you know, where it's like, okay, let's just look at our events and lay them out in the timeline and then hang the rest of it off of there is, is brilliant. I think it's a really good tool for discovery, just like color modeling. I think, I think they're not in conflict with each other. Because it's a how versus a what both of them tell you how to do domain modeling and how to discover and, come to a common ubiquitous language.
0: Well, and and another thing to think about too, I I do know that some of the colors that are used in event storming are not necessarily that colorblind friendly as modeling and color. But what I came up with was um, because I had, you know, like some people attending my workshop were colorblind. I said, what can we do about this? Well, I just created some simple icons that you can draw very quickly On the side you know like in the upper corner like upper Mm. left corner of the sticky note that represents like a lightning bolt for for the event and the command is like an exclamation point and you know view is pretty easy to to show it's just a rectangle or a square with a little upside down t on the bottom of it or something like that um so you know and and what's a policy well i just Draw three lines to represent a document, and that way, if someone's colorblind, they just look at the icon, and you know they they pick up on what what the concept is. In fact, we've we've carried that over into our new tool called Domo Roboto, uh, which is basically online virtual, you know, team based event storming, context mapping from DDD and and a number of different things, um, impact mapping with uh, user stories and, you know, so forth. So anyway, you know, a very visual modeling tool, and it seems to have have worked out quite well. Now, you've already touched on how, you know, there's this overlap with domain-driven design as well. Maybe you have more experience with with that and the overlap with uh, color modeling? Oh, yeah.
1: So um, it was uh, a definite obsession with me of, of like cracking that nut. And I actually worked on a project where the uh, lead architect for the system, like me, you know, was a heavy proponent of, of DDD, but also uh leveraged the concepts of color modeling, you know, as a as a utility for basically creating consistency and a consistent approach across the team. And so uh that was a beautiful project. We had uh we had about 10 teams in different bounded contexts. I was the tech lead for one of those context teams. And uh, we were using a, a service bus to to communicate and events to cross the boundaries, you know, like totally disconnected. Like I couldn't like reference directly any other upstream or downstream um, services. And like we talked about, hey, how does this color model for this component map to DDD concepts? And we, we did dive into, like, building the bounded context around a given model. Like, we did use event aggregate routes. When the component pulled a message off the bus, it would only talk to its uh, root aggregate. So, like, we, we made sure to start making it where, okay, like, oh, this delivery request needs to go through the aggregate route for the delivery system. I need to, like, pull them out all together into, like, just a big old brain bump because they're all still floating around in my head right now. But yeah, there's so much that for me, domain driven design gives you a
0: kind of a shared vocabulary, right? So yeah.
1: Yeah. So it gives, it gives you the, what I think that, you know, color modeling gives you the detailed how to implement that. What?
0: Yeah. That's a good way to describe that. Cool. Okay. Now, maybe one more big topic or I don't know how much you want to say about uh, extended reality, but you're, you know, you've gotten into this idea of extended reality and, and frankly, I don't know anything about it at all. So, you know, here I am, your, your student. So could you tell us about extended reality?
1: Oh yeah. So uh, I, I've been like following the concept. I, I, I really feel like, you know, the next step, and mobility would be some kind of glasses. You know, like Google had a shot at it. It was a little too early. The tech wasn't there. I've been seeing some patents come across that are like, okay, well, this this looks like this is going to be into like maybe like plastic glasses or really thick, you know, bottle glasses that that people used to wear. But it'll be glasses. There won't be a, a headset so much. So I think that's the next phase. I've been following mixed reality, you know, Microsoft Hololens, uh, the Apple MR API, and stuff like that. But I never really dove into it. And then, like, my wife for Christmas bought me a, a Oculus, and I was like, sold. You know, it's like so amazing. You know, so I could I started seeing like there's possibilities for uh, really creating. You know, like if you remember Second Life. Back in the day where like, it's like, uh oh, you spend on, you build a second life in this world. I think, I think that's closer to reality and the headsets aren't where it's at. uh, Like, but when we get to the stage where glasses are and everything, everyday thing powered by maybe your phone for a little more juice, I think that we will be at a phase where, you know, the second life becomes more commonplace. So like I started diving into it. Where things get interesting is you have XR encompasses, augmented reality. So, like having like a heads up display instead of looking at your phone for for a driving directions, um, they'll be right in, in your face. Uh, thinking about, you know, seeing a person and having facial recognition on your glasses, and they're saying, oh, this is Bob Johnson. He's in your contact list. His wife is. Is Andrea and you know his birthday is August 15th. You know the possibilities are there where it's not just fun and games but it's actually context sensitive information at the moment you need it without looking at a screen. You know well the screen is you know right in your eyes. I've seen some prototype patents where they're trying to do some kind of visual enhancement via contact lens so I see like 10 to 15 years at the most where this is just an everyday thing where, you know, we have information when we want it, when we need it. And that's why uh, I, I'm, I'm really excited about XR.
0: So, yeah, I, I still don't really, you know, I, I've never even tried something like that as far as I can re- remember, but quite interesting. And, but like you say, I've, when I see them, I'm always just a little bit like, hmm. well, I don't know. I, I don't feel like rushing out and, and getting them right, right now. So I probably won't be an early adopter, but, you know, I'd probably need a a few influences in my life that would say you really need to do this. Um, what do you think about the privacy implications of, of this? That's always sort of, you know, what's what crosses people's minds is, okay, how much of my personal life am I giving up to use this device? You know, um, you could just be going to dinner and do you really want people to know that you're going to dinner right now and where you're going and who you're meeting there? And I mean, you know, not, not that anyone would even have a reason to be concerned for that, but what could bad guys learn from that? (laughs) You know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So yes, that's, that's definitely a concern. And you know, like, Facebook hasn't been the most honest player when it comes to privacy or, well, I wouldn't say dishonest, but they haven't done privacy well. And, you know, they're the forerunner in this whole uh, extended reality world. But, you know, like we see Apple, we see Microsoft making plays in it. We see all of the big players who are there are going to make a next level play. When you mention like, oh, I don't necessarily want everyone to know that, you know, I went to that restaurant last night. I think it. Enters the same realm of social media, right? You have the, if you don't want them to know, don't check in or do whatever that gesture would be to say, hey, I'm here. In the same regard, you know, like we have to also think about how the uh, users might share information about their network that the other person might not want to share, you know? So, like, you're in my um, social network and I see you at, at dinner. How do I say, oh, I don't want other people to know, to know I'm here, you know? But, uh, yeah, those, those are definite concerns and, and there's going to be a, a whole new realm of, of privacy concerns going forward from there that, you know, like a lot of the use cases of social networks have to be rethought or reconsidered when you talk about, okay, well, I'm not pulling out my phone. I'm just wearing glasses and I don't necessarily want to share everything that my glasses pick up
0: yeah absolutely and and i so i think there are definitely uses it's just you know this this whole new uh landscape of devices and so forth you know i I have to say i mean you go back far enough i'm sure to to remember you know just uh answering machines and touch-tone phones and landlines and all this stuff i mean I haven't owned an, a landline since we left Colorado, um, right. you know, almost six years ago. And we were questioning then why should we even have a landline anymore, and you know things like that. But you know, there were real advantages to just not having a phone on you all the time. You know, I right. mean, I you know, you some some people get so addicted to always connected that it just detaches them from real life and I've had those kinds of challenges too it's like you just always want to be updated about you know okay what's the what's going on here what's going on there you have people that you work with you're trying to help them they're trying to help you and you know it's like uh could you put that down and take your next bite of food and you know <laughs> and then talk to me so, you know so yeah there you know there's that aspect and and like you say okay I run into Michael Brown at at uh, a restaurant and he's just trying to have a private night out. And I go and like take a selfie or something and, and put it up on Twitter or wherever and go, look, I'm, I'm in the same place with Michael Brown. You're just like, sigh, you know, I just wish I could have have had a nice quiet evening and not run into anyone that I know, or they didn't have this capability to, to put me under, peer pressure to take a photo with them that i really didn't feel like taking a photo so you know i i think just for one thing we have a lot of lot to learn about etiquette and with right. these devices and technologies
1: yeah yeah i think i think i, I can definitely see what you're saying there because uh, sometimes you, you just want to like interact with the person you know it's like there was a comedian who said, you know, you go to a school recital and everyone's standing there with their look at, like basically looking at their kids through their screens. And it's like, your kid is right there in live high definition. Look at them, <laughs> you know? Uh, and then you look at Wally where, you know, they show the two people in their, in their little cart strolling side by side, having a conference. And Wally looks between them and he's like, you're talking to a person that's right next to you. And, it reminds me when I was in college and, uh, it was before, you know, like we were still on Unix in, in college and, uh, there are pe- pe- people in the same room having white talk conversations with the person. <laughs> like five so feet away It's like, you know, there's this thing called talking. <laughs> Have you heard of it? And so yeah, yeah, you know, like I think, I think in some ways technology disconnects us more than it connects us and it connects us a lot you know it's like remember as kids having pen pals is like okay well i can talk to like instantly to someone in china instead of writing the letter and waiting for two weeks for them to get it and, and send it back so it's cool how 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 well connected the internet has made us but in some regards it is disconnected
0: yeah for sure well um We're not going to solve all this sitting here chatting, (laughs) but I I would like to talk with you about it more and see what kind of uh, progress you've made in that area. So I really appreciate you joining us today, Michael. And uh, so how do people contact you if they want to join in the Juneteenth, you know, future conferences and so forth? What's the best way to get in touch with you?
1: Oh, yeah. So, um, you know, we we created a, a Twitter. All of our social media is Juneteenth conch that's um june with t-e-n-t-h comp all one word and it's juneteenthconch.com JuneteenthComp Conf on twitter Conf on instagram and Conf on youtube and and facebook uh and we'll be putting up the announcements for uh call for papers and ways to volunteer
0: excellent so what i would like to see and maybe even in some way contribute to is how could we get a kind of like high school level inspirational talks, maybe just a few of them. And maybe you've already got those. I don't know. But um, how can we get those actually piped into the schools where the kids are? Um, And since a lot of them are learning from home anyway, right now, you know, maybe it's not that difficult. Have, Have you worked through that at all?
1: Well, so actually, I just, we just had an event last Friday through Microsoft. I'm, I'm on the, uh, BAM ERG, Black at Microsoft, and we host a, uh, we hope for now virtual, uh, minority student day. And basically what it is, is, you know, exactly what you said. We, we, we target school students with, uh, we had a keynote speaker, uh, Marseille Mark Martin, and we had, uh, a few, workshops that tied into what she was talking about. Basically uh, the theme was, what is your legacy? And so we got the kids to think about, hey, what what mark do you want to leave on the world? And we also showed a, uh, a virtual museum of, you know, young black people who are uh, entrepreneurs or making big, big waves at a re- very young age to do exactly what you said, provide some inspiration Uh, directly to the young students. Um, I would like to, beyond just the one conference, I would like to expand, you know, the activities and programs at Juneteenth to a year-round thing. I've got some ideas around there, and uh, uh, that just takes funding to some degree.
0: Yeah, so, well, a very um, uh, interesting, compelling, and laudable effort that you're that you're involved with and I wish you all success with it and I'm never going to be able to be a, a black person in tech and um, but I'm with you in, in heart so thank you so much yeah. and thanks for joining yeah. us
1: thanks for having me Bob it's been great meeting you like you know I'm a, I'm a huge fan of your work and it was it was amazing to have you reach out to me and
0: likewise so okay take care have a great If you enjoyed this interview, please subscribe and stay tuned for more. This
1: podcast is sponsored and produced by Kalele, makers of Domo Roboto and the Zoom platform. To learn more, visit kalele.io.
0: That's K-A-L-E-L-E dot I-O. Thanks for listening.